You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. My name is Daniel Janine. I'm a producer and Amanda's best friend. Amanda, what are we talking <laughs> about, about this week? Oh, Daniel, this week... We are going to give a general state of the world, uh, what's going on in terms of restaurants opening and closing and what's happening with bars. We are going to talk a little bit about trick or treating. But first, I kind of want to just talk to you. Mm -hmm. I want to catch up with you a little bit about what it's like to go out to eat right now, because you and I do that quite a bit. And I, I have some observations I would like to share. I love observations. First thing I've noticed for the first time in a long time. It's hard to get reservations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially at like the the buzzy places. I mean, we've we've achieved this version of the world where outdoor dining is now, uh, especially in certain neighborhoods, like so fun and so the thing do to do that yeah. you can't just freestyle. You know, like if you're going mm -hmm. out with someone, even if it's party of two, like. You walk around. I mean, look, we're talking about very specific neighborhoods, but you walk around and you get you walk into a bunch of places that, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, our waiting list is actually closed for the night. You know, like it. Yeah, there. I mean, there are a few contributing factors. One, a lot of people have a lot less space than they used they sure to. Do. Yeah. So there's a scarcity issue Two, a lot of places because of safety measures will only deal with reservations mm -hmm. now. So there used to be some flexibility for walk-ins. Now there isn't. Uh, and they can take fewer reservations than they could before because they're trying to space out how many people are coming at once. Um, I also think there's just this renewed interest now that it's fall. Like fall was always the primo dining season, I feel like, in yeah. New York. And I mean, I'm talking specifically about New York, but it's very beautiful here right now. It's great to dine outside right now. A lot of people who left, who decamped, either at the beginning of this or during the summer are now back. They want to see what everyone's been talking about with these beautiful outdoor dining situations. So there's some, there's some demand. And you know what else, what? Daniel? They want to get it in while they can. Yeah. I think there's also a, a fun, not fun. There's also another, I think there's also like another element to this, which is where, you know, it rains sometimes as, uh, the climate does. So like when it's nice, it, it's, it's like everyone wants to go out those nights yeah. i mean it is the same when there is when we are in a regular state but um you know when when things are normal you can just eat inside and not worry about it uh i was on this panel recently where someone someone in the audience asked like oh well it hasn't outdoor dining been like the saving grace for everyone it's like yes for some people yeah. but for so many people what you don't see when you see a crowded patio is that they could only be open for four hours that day yeah and that yesterday it poured rain and that in a month from now it's going to be freezing yeah something that's really unfortunate is i mean around here especially if, depending on your permit if you have outdoor dining you have to shut everything down hardcore by 11. so they would have a lot mm -hmm. of people lingering and drinking and sitting at tables that 
that they can't do. But also, I mean, we talk about this all the time. You see a crowded bump in patio and you're like, oh, this place is killing it. But even at best of times, they're doing 20 to 30 percent, maybe 40 percent, 50 percent on the best day if they've created some giant outdoor expansion that looks like an indoor restaurant. This is still 50 percent of what their normal capacity would be. And, you know, wine buying, booze buying, maybe it's picking up a little bit, but like they're not having those like the people that are coming and buying fancy alcohol. It's it's not the same thing. It's a lot of like Aperol spritzes and stuff when people are and beers like smaller, smaller parties, too. So you're not getting like a bunch of wine bottles for all your friends. It's like you're going out with one other person. I've noticed it's actually easier to get a reservation for a party of four than for a party. of two. Yeah, it's much easier to find rent right now for a three bedroom apartment because people are not as interested in sharing space with each other. Um, you can yeah. get those like the bigger the apartment you look for, the better the better deals you can get. One thing, you know, we are not we don't shy away from 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 offering optimism. I mean, I've talked to a couple restaurants at this point. Actually, I'll tell you a funny story. I was uh, I went I went I had an outdoor dining experience uh, with a friend at a, at a Chinese restaurant that I love. Was it Wu's Wonton King with me? Uh so all of the elements that of the buildup are true, you know, with a friend. I love it there. But no, this was not uh, this is not Wu's Wonton King with you. Uh. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> so I ordered. Uh, I'm so glad I haven't told you this. I ordered. Uh, I ordered. Uh, we ordered like a couple drinks. I don't remember what we got, but they forgot to bring out the drinks. Right. I think I might have told you this. Uh-huh. Fuck. Doesn't matter. They forgot to bring out the drinks. And at the end of the meal, I go in, they give us the check. The drinks are still on the bill. I go in and I've, I was like, I'm going to feel this out because like, you know, it's COVID. I don't want to be like, hey, you didn't bring our drinks and then like not pay for them. I would be like, whatever. It's it was like cheap beers. I'll live. But um, so I start talking to this guy who I kind of known before, who uh, was the manager at this place. And uh, I was like, hey, man, like, how's how's everything going? You know, in my dreary in my dreary voice. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, this I, I don't know. I don't really want to I don't really talk about this too much. But um, for the like the last six weeks, we've set sales records every single Friday and Saturday for for the history wow. of their popular restaurant, because their delivery is so bump in combined with outdoor dining and then the beginnings of like 25% indoor dining. This place was crushing it. I immediately go, oh, well, I actually ordered this booze and it never came. So if you could take that (laughs) off the bill. uh, (laughs) You actually owe me money. That is not the case, obviously, across the board. In general, it is safe to say that restaurants are suffering. Um, But some, some people are thriving. That's true. Yeah. I think if you have a robust delivery model, combined with mm-hmm. these future or combined with um, implementing whatever the city allows. Uh, yeah. There's, or if there's you were some t- hope. If you were a tiny place that was allowed to expand in a really major way outside, um, this season has been good for you. Other observation before we get into the news. No, I honestly, well, I let's have, just do observations forever. I mean, I love observations. This is great. So, so much more fun than the news. Okay. I have been using Instagram nonstop to figure out where to eat. Hmm. Interesting. Why? So, as you know, I have like a spreadsheet I keep of restaurants I can go to, like noting what the outdoor scenario is like. I follow Eater. I listen to friends. But at the end of the day, it's really hard to know unless I've seen it what the scenario is going to be. You know, 
Yeah. I want to go to Instagram. I want to look through the tag page. I want to see what people have filmed there and see like, okay, is this a good vibe? What is the spacing like? Are they serving food on real plates? Or is this like one of those takeout container situations? What is going to happen? And I feel like it's the best way to actually ascertain that information. Seeing what pictures the community puts up from a place is is, is such a good way of understanding what's, what's oh, yeah. going on there. But um, has, has anything been, uh, has anything surprised you one way or the other? Well, Woo's Wonton King, yeah. which you and I went to this week, I wanted to go there because someone, I think they posted a video of their setup and I was like, oh, right. They have this huge sidewalk area that they can expand into and they built this nice situation. I was talking to, to someone the, the other day who um, <clears throat> owns a small restaurant and he, he was saying that he's a little bit somber because he's seeing all these setups and everyone being like the outdoor dining revolution, blah, blah, blah. And like all these amazing outdoor homes, basically, that these restaurants have installed. Uh-huh with TVs and iPhone chargers and whatever. It's like a, they <laughs> yeah. should Airbnb them at nighttime. But he's like, yeah, I mean, I see these things and everyone's like, ooh, resilience. But like those things cost like 10 or 15 grand to oh, set yeah. up. So it's not like it's not like those things are just free and the restaurants like have them in the back kicking kicking around. No, ready to roll. I went to this this place, Hunky Dory, which is a great bar in my neighborhood, and they got to take over this like empty lot next to the restaurant, yeah. next to the bar, which is amazing, but it's this giant empty lot. And so in the first couple of weeks, it was just like, it was bleak. Yeah. It's this like wrought iron <laughs> mm-hmm. fence and they just put some tables out and a couple umbrellas. And it's like, this is not cute. You know, but then over time they keep adding things and adding things. I'm sure she's been investing a lot of money in this. And like now there are haystacks and there's plants yeah. and there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But it's it's expensive. It's so much of this. I mean, we talk about it every week, but so much of this is luck every week because we put a podcast out every week. Um, <laughs> so, so much of this is luck. Like if your next door neighbors are not a restaurant and they're cool with you expanding, the city is cool with you expanding and covering their territory. Yeah. Like you could cover an entire city block if everyone's on board. Uh, for you for you to help out. I got a really, really wonderful email from Dion D, uh, one of my favorite restaurants, a Vietnamese restaurant in, in, in Greenpoint, because I have a reservation there outdoors tomorrow night. Um, well, tonight, if you're listening to this podcast on Friday, come find me. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but they were like, hey, there's forecast for rain. You have a reservation for outdoors. Uh, we just want to let you know we are still like fully open and you know ready to provide hospitality. And then they sent a picture, a picture of their amazing um, like outdoor covered wooden setup Smart. thing. Yeah. They're like, hey, just so you know, this thing ready to go, ready to, to shield you from the rain. I was definitely going to go because like whatever, I'll I'll go. I'm not going to cancel the reservation, but I. I can imagine being someone who'd be like, oh, it's raining tomorrow. Should we cancel that? And then seeing that and be like, fuck, yeah, I'm still going. Um, One thing that I think that we could look at maybe as almost satire is uh, some of these outdoor structures are becoming like just as robust, if not more robust than like the restaurants themselves. So it's just like Mm -hmm. we get excited, like outdoor dining is alive. Look at these structures. And it's just like. We almost forget what the point of the outdoor dining was, which was like for airflow and circulation. And it's just like these giant homes outside, which. Well, I think we we talked about that with Eve a few weeks ago with when San Francisco was adding those domes that were enclosed. It's like, no, you can't you actually can't do that. I mean, 
Though there's this cool restaurant that just opened in Detroit where it's all geodesic domes. That's awesome. And then you get your food from a food truck. But their canvas, which I feel like I prefer to plastic, and the front is completely open. You know? Great. Great. So it feels feels relatively safe. You just go with your your little group. You I know, love innovative. it. Innovative. I'm not looking forward to what the winter brings for these places because the cold air only makes things more difficult. I'm looking forward to seeing with the right combination of heaters, et cetera, et cetera, like what is it like to eat out below when it's below 32 or whatever uh, mm-hmm. at a fun restaurant? You know, I mean, I, fucking bring it on. You know what that also reminds me of? Everyone's investing in all these outdoor heaters. Yeah. And um, some James, our editor in London, was bringing this up with us today about how there are these restaurants that are so obsessed with sustainability and the environment, and they feel very conflicted buying all of these heaters that run on propane. Yeah. Uh, and how do they square those two needs of surviving and making outdoor dining hospitable while still trying to not, you know, impact climate change with your actions? And I think that extends to Mm -hmm. the amount of like takeout containers. You know, everyone was trying to eschew plastic and straws and all this utensils. And now like I go to restaurants and sometimes they don't even use plates. I think that society as a whole is very bad at focusing on multiple moral issues at once. Yeah. Live to to fight another day, I guess. Right. Like, let's all get through this to the point where and then we can go back and, and worry about the environment, which is something that I'm, you know, I'm conscious of. I mean, I, I think it's less about the individual choice and more about the regulations, you know, yeah. like Paris, they are outlawing them. The so propane? after the after this year, though. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. So they're they're like they're like starting gun, next fall. Starting <laughs> next year. Starting yeah. next year. So, Daniel, should we? Should we get into the news? Let's get into the news. I mean, we, we've hit some news. Don't we? We've hit some news, but Paris ma- reminded me that um, Paris is locked down again. Yeah. And on a curfew, like a citywide curfew from like, I think, 9 p.m. until 6 a.m. They must be worried about nightlife, about underground parties and stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. But that sucks. It sucks. I can't even imagine. Toronto is also almost locked down. Toronto is back on lockdown. New York, they have shut down zoned areas of the city. So at first they had proposed doing it by zip code. Now they've decided to do it based on like clusters. So there are some zoned areas that are shut down. A bunch of other European capitals are shutting down because the virus is just out of control in Europe on the continent. Meanwhile, L.A. Mm -hmm. is considering reopening for indoor dining at the end of the month. San Francisco just reopened for indoor dining the beginning of October. Yeah. San Francisco also, this is the one I think you would like the most, they reopened their movie theaters, (laughs) but they cannot sell concessions. Yeah. As a movie theater lover I know. and it's, goer. Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> I want your take on that. Theaters are a, a, a notoriously a bad business. They have to be held up by incentives from the studios, um, different kind of rights deals and stuff. And the only way it kind of works is from the insanely priced popcorn and snacks and drinks. Uh, so it's, it's really like telling a a commuter airline that they can open for flights, but they can't have passengers. It's like, I don't know. It's just why even bother? But I hope that, uh, 
it's great. I mean, I went to a theater in Toronto and it there is kind of a strange thing that's happening where I feel like we all start to decide for ourselves what feels safe and what doesn't. Yeah. 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 But I felt very safe in the theater. You know, it, it's like at 50 percent or 40 percent or whatever it was, there was no one around me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think there's nowhere safer you can be on the planet right now than the top row of a theater because you're just sending that breath on downwards and you're not getting hit with anyone else's. I keep thinking that with um, performance venues. Yeah. You know, like in New York, there are some pretty giant spaces where you could have musicians play and pay a lot of money to see them play. And that's just not an option. Meanwhile, I could go inside a restaurant with no mask on and eat. And it's just like some of those regulatory decisions are a little befuddling. The problem is it's it's difficult to decipher between entertainment, right? Like entertainment yeah. is such a huge category. Obviously, we should open up the opera at 25% because people don't move around. It's not like people are, you know, rubbing shoulders. Um, yeah. But how do you differ between the opera and uh, alt-rock concert or whatever, or like a mosh pit? It's tough. Well, now the restaurants should just get those out-of-work opera singers, bring them to the restaurant. <laughs> so, I mean, I did hear... Maybe yeah. not maybe not the singer, but like a cellist. Why so, not? I've, yeah. I've been seeing more live music, actually, out at restaurants. I actually did hear a really funny story about someone who... There is a lot of out-of-work musicians... And they are playing at a lot of restaurants. And I did hear a story about someone who lives on a block with a restaurant that has a brass band playing from like three to nine every day. And oh it God. is driving him apeshit. <laughs> that is so funny. I have a jazz band that plays next to my apartment Thursdays for two hours. <laughs> and it's just like a delight. So, I mean, some of it's great. Uh, obviously, you're going to get your curmudgeons or I mean, rightfully so. But um, yeah, so that is kind of the state. What's going on in in the South? Oh, yes. So in the South, uh, the governor of Texas have has allowed bars to reopen uh, if the area gets approval from a local judge. So that means you're going to have a lot of areas in Texas where they can open their bars and some major urban areas where they cannot. So Dallas, Houston, city of Austin, you cannot go to a bar still. But outside of those areas, there are a lot of places that are allowing it. I guess you just assume you guess I guess you just like at this point you just assume that a, a place like Texas would have all their bars just bumping, but it's, uh, they're trying they're trying to be responsible. I guess that opens them up to a lot of lawsuits and a lot of people like going to court to try to lobby legislation to allow them to open their places. I'd be it'll be interesting to follow that to see what the law how the law yeah. shakes out. Relatedly, in Seattle, this is not a lawsuit, but a lot of bar owners are petitioning the state or sorry, in Seattle, a lot of bar owners are petitioning the city to get rid of the curfew there. Yeah, because like many other cities, there's a curfew. You have to shut everything down by 10 p.m. This is also happening in the UK. It's new to the UK, Mm -hmm. um, but many American cities have been going through this. And in the UK, as in Seattle, bar owners are pretty best and they don't think there is any science behind making them shut early and that they can keep people in line. Do you, yeah. I think the counterpoint to that is that like, you know, people get drunk. The longer they're out, they are going to get drunk and they're not going to be as careful. Mm-hmm. All right, Daniel, let's move on to some lighter stuff. We are halfway through October. We are almost at Halloween. And with the coronavirus still raging in this nation, a lot of people are wondering what we're going to do about Halloween. 
So we have Jenny Zhang on the show today to tell us what health experts are saying about trick-or-treating. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. The CDC has said trick-or-treating is high risk. Some cities have banned it. You asked a bunch of health experts for advice on various trick-or-treating methods and alternatives. Tell us, what did you find out? The CDC, obviously, like they have ruled that traditional trick-or-treating, which these groups of kids go door-to-door collecting candy in close quarters from various adults, is probably not the best idea right now. Um, And the public health experts I interviewed all pretty much agreed um, there are like a number of factors to take into consideration, which is like, first and foremost, um, how many people you're around since we know that one of the biggest transition or transmission vectors is just like being around people breathing the same air, like the, the droplets they can spew forth from their mouths. So like being cognizant of how many people you're around, like how crowded it is. Are people wearing masks? Are they, sort of within six feet of each other? Are they reaching out and like touching the same surfaces without, Mm. you know, necessarily cleaning their hands? Um, So those are all some different factors to to take into consideration as you think about what you and your family might do for Halloween. So you pitched a few alternatives to these health experts beyond the traditional going door to door in groups trick or treating. What were some of the ideas and what, what did they say about them? Yeah, so I pitched a number of ideas, um, some of them sort of crowdsourced and like thought up um, among eater staff, a lot of them from like the internet and like blogs and forums, like what people are actually talking about as like alternatives are considering. Um, so first off, like one potential idea that came up is just like the standard leaveable of candy outside for trick-or-treaters. That's probably one that a lot of people have thought about. Not super exciting, but it seems like the most doable for some people. Um, but like here, like, again, you have to think about the the different factors. Like first, are kids going to still crowd together in, around the candy bowl? If so, like that's still probably not a great idea. Um, and then of course the, the sort of secondary um, or lesser concern is like cross-contamination. Are these like dirty little hands going to go around like touching where other kids have touched? Um, so that's like an idea that some of these experts have called, called like moderate risk or like, eh, could, could be worse, could be better. Um, and then like, we have some more creative options. Like what if you literally just like slingshot candy at trick or treaters from 60 away? Um, which seems like a pretty decent idea. According to these experts, they were like, that, that could be okay. You know, it, barring like the cross-contamination question. Um, but you, on the, on the downside, you might like hurt someone. So mm. something like that, maybe it's not such a great idea in practice, although I'm still like all for it in theory. Yeah. I mean, you can run over people and not be worried about getting COVID. That's, yeah. A very <laughs> yeah. This is taking it too far. I mean, like just wear it's the only time when you are supposed to wear a mask also. So just everyone just be surgeons, wear N95s and just do the thing normally. It's like an outdoor thing. I mean, unless unless we're talking about trick or treating in apartment buildings, I could see that being more of a concern. But certainly like going door to door in in rural neighborhoods, that should this shouldn't even be a consideration. I think it's more like the kids trick or dense urban areas where you are talking about apartment trick or treating or like you go to some neighborhoods where I live and it is like really packed and crazy. 
um, and everyone is getting close and there are a lot of like parties and all that stuff. I mean, I am not super worried about it, but I could see how health experts would be concerned about that risk. Jenny, did they laugh when you called to ask about this or are they taking this kind of thing very seriously? Well, I think they had like generally a pretty good time answering these questions. Um, (laughs) Like some commented that this is like kind of fun or funny. Um, I think like, of course, being like public health experts or like infectious disease experts, they've been like inundated with like all these questions about COVID and transmission for literally half a year. Um, For some of them, it seemed like it was kind of a nice break to think more creatively about the different risk levels involved with this. So I think they... They had a good time generally, um, but of course, like it's they they still took it seriously um, in thinking about the risk factors. Like again, first and foremost, like how much crowding you're gonna have with kids. Um, but otherwise, I think like one of them I spoke to, Dan, they, she definitely agrees with your point that it's like you know trick or treating conventionally in like suburban or rural areas is like a an outdoor activity, and like. Yeah. If you take all the proper precautions and if you like keep in mind your local context and how high like transmission is in your neighborhood or, or community, like there there are possibilities for like these sort of workarounds. But yeah, definitely you need the precautions, but also it's like a little bit unrealistic to I think, you know, have a blanket ban on any kind of Halloween activity or fun, um, including alternative methods. And yet Dallas, Detroit, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Austin are all recommending people do not do it. Jenny, what, um, you know, as a, as a journalist, I should ask you, what do you think people should do? (laughs) Well, I think people should listen to the experts. Um, so not necessarily me, but I think, yeah, like definitely going along with what they're saying, like first consider your contacts, like are there really high levels of cases around you? Um, in which case, like maybe you just opt for like a nice movie night in or like a, a scavenger hunt for your own kids in your backyard if you have one. Um, but that's cute. Yeah, yeah. Like there are like all these different methods. Like one of these um, public health experts, they said she's probably going to get a pinata for her kids, stuff like that. So there's just like this whole spectrum of things that you could do um, with the ultimate goal being, of course, like kids want candy there are ways to get kids candy whether that is like through some of the more um, traditional methods or through kind of more creative outlets yeah I guess I kind of just I mean I don't know if I disagree but I (laughs) I don't think that the Halloween I feel like is about the interaction with random people more so and showing off like showing off the costume I think maybe the tip is pick a costume with a mask like I was just thinking about the costumes for my kids this year they don't have masks I'm going to have to make them wear a mask on top of their costume. I should have picked Surgeon. I should have picked Surgeon. Or Darth Vader or something. I just feel like if you're talking, if you're saying it's just about the candy, it's like, here's an option. Why don't you go to Walgreens and give your kids 20 bucks and say, go wild? Like, that doesn't um, no, I think seem like the an exciting... The pinata would be in costume. The pinata's good. Yeah, like, the pinata's they good. dress up, well, you, they dress yeah. up, and then they do the pinata thing. But yeah, I think having strangers comment on your costume is pretty one of the highlights yeah one of the highlights oh well just another casualty of 2020 jenny thank you thank (laughs) you so much yeah thank you all right amanda let's get on to uh some other news um it's a topic that is not really COVID related at all that i want to talk to you about um there is a company financial times was reporting there is a startup a new startup called 
Bespoken Spirits. Yeah, I think this is a little bit of a maybe a misleading headline, but Bespoken Spirits uh, labeled it themselves. They are called the Nespresso for Whiskey. Why? What? <laughs> Why would you I, want that? What is it? Okay, what does it do? Tell me, tell me what it does. First of all, it's not what you think it is, right? Like the Nespresso for whiskey, you assume would be, I want a certain kind of whiskey. I've got pods plus a base. I get to make it at home. That's not what it is. They're just basically calling it that because of the pressure that they are using uh, to create these flavors, subtleties, nuances, whatever. But um, what I find interesting about this and what I want to talk to you about is that Oh, let me backtrack. What they're doing is that they're using pressure combined with different kinds of wood in steel drums, I believe, um, over you know limited amounts of time, day, couple days, to create the scientifically matched flavor profiles of well-known whiskeys, scotches, right? So they use the base alcohols, barleys, and you know, science, uh, high pressure techniques to match these kind of old school, uh, boozes, right? Do you, do you love this so much? You know what? I, I don't love it. I, I think, um, there was a story like four years ago, I think about a company called, I, I mean, it's still kicking around called lost spirits. And they were using, uh, they were using a piping system that ran through high intensity UV to simulate the aging process of, 15, 20 years, whatever it is. Um, what I think is most interesting about this is if you can do this, what does that mean for the world of like boutique aged whiskey? So um, the company, here's, here's a quote from the Financial Times. The company's launch on Wednesday was not welcomed by the Scotch Whiskey Association, obviously, which said that the re <laughs> requirement of maturation in casks to legally sell a product, product as whiskey protects the reputation of the spirits. Um, other spirits produced with other techniques should be labeled in a way which doesn't take unfair advantage of that reputation. And the Scotch Whiskey Association said they intend to take legal action all over the world. Right, um, they'll say it's not actually, it's not whiskey. It's some sort of... Exactly. So, but what I'm, what I think is so fascinating is like, if they do blind taste tests for all these ridiculous old school whiskey aficionados and like the, that whiskey dude with the hat who travels all over London and labels things the best who I think had some problematic article or whatever. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but like if you fool that guy, right. Yeah. W what, what does this mean for all of these brands that have been doing a thing in the same way for 150 years or, or, or longer. Do you think that they should be protected or do you think that the Nespresso for whiskey uh, should be able to sell like Johnny Walker blue label imitation or whatever that's exactly the same chemically as Johnny, Johnny Walker blue label? That is a tough question um, because at the heart of it, if the product is the same as a consumer, yeah. do I really care? Yeah. I would want to look back at the bigger picture. Like, are they doing it? Is it cheaper? Is it better for the environment in some way? Is there some bonus to it? Is it just faster? I mean, imagine it's cheaper. It's infinitely cheaper and it's instant. You'll end up in this world where these high-end collectors will 
pay extra for the stuff that's actually been made the right Which way. Which will always happen and, and there will always else, be people who say that it's better. And everyone else is just drinking this, you know, yeah. fakery and and being fine with it. So I don't actually think that the fakery bespoken spirits will crush that hard. Cause like, I think what makes these things considered amazing is the lineage and is the, the work that, that the branding and the storytelling. It, yeah, exactly. Like I'm kind of in the camp that, that there's nothing inherently that good about a thing that's fermented that sits in a barrel for a hundred and hundred years. What if they have killer branding on this stuff? What if they just kill it with their marketing campaign and have like amazing branding and it's not even about how they make it. And it's just like, cool, get some influencers. I guess so. But I guess what I would say to that is, um, lab grown diamonds are, I think the same thing, right. As organic diamonds. Mm -hmm. And I have not yet seen branding on a lab grown diamond that would make that would get me excited about them and and i don't know why it's just something that's ingrained in me i'm i i wouldn't get amped up about a lab grown diamond uh and that's not to say you, that they would do a better i'm looking i'm in the process right now yeah oh okay yeah. i was like why are you well i just see these stores are you big I, diamond consumer i just see lab grown diamond stores and i'm like oh that's tacky i don't know why yeah but if someone what I'm saying is if someone had good branding around it and made it really cool, I'm sure that brand exists of like cool, hip, eth- ethical, like here's your ethical diamond. I guess what I'm saying is diamonds don't matter, right? Whiskey, in a sense, doesn't matter. Like these are things that the art, artistic value of them are kind of in our in the eyes of the beholder. So like. I don't know that without the full experience that goes into it, right? I love that diamonds is your example because the real diamonds, it's like people die mining diamonds. Not always. Yeah, that, I mean, diamond, it's a terrible industry. At least with whiskey, you're worried about this like romantic tradition being pushed aside for this technology. With diamonds, There's like, blood we whiskey. should not. We, <laughs> is there? <laughs> Like, we should not be buying traditional diamonds. So it's something that I haven't looked into that much, but I'll tell you one thing, it's that I won't be buying a lab-grown diamond. Maybe I'll just steer clear of the diamonds. Just a blood diamond. I'll just steer clear diamond. of diamonds. Classic blood diamond. I'll steer clear of diamonds. But the point is, is I, I think this is a very fascinating thing. I think, that, I think, I think they should be able to do whatever they want. I think that, I guess the thing that I think is matching scientifically, point for point, you know, whatever, with one of these traditional whiskeys, in a sense, doesn't matter. I don't think that the flavor is as important with whiskey as scotch the as the story. Yeah, I think the same with wine, right? Yeah, but with wine, I think you have an opportunity to use new techniques. Maybe it's the same with whiskey to use t- new techniques. Like if some of the natural purveyors were will be like, we're like, oh, we grow our grapes in a in in a sewer system in New Jersey, and they're hyper sustainable, and then we we use modern techniques to age. I feel like. That could be cool. I guess. I, I think with wine and maybe less so with whiskey, the idea is that the product is alive and changing and you can't predict it. And it's not about the science. It's about what, you know, the earth yeah. and human interaction do to create this product. Right. I guess I actually think it's the same with whiskey and that the barrels or the aging process is alive. Right. Yeah. Like every that's like every year is different. 
Um, so that's just something to look out for. I mean, I think the, that right. the idea... Stay tuned for our live taste test. <laughs> the idea of aging things using science is only going to get more prominent because there's no reason it would get less prominent. <laughs> so it is election season. And is it? in yeah. Cal... It is. And in California, it turns out that Instacart shoppers have been encouraged to put Prop 22 propaganda yeah. in the shopping carts of the people they're buying for. So Proposition 22 is on the ballot. It would let companies like Lyft, Instacart, DoorDash, Uber, etc. It would let them keep these employees on as contractors and not full-time employees. Are we, um, yeah. the, law, the law in California called AB5 states that if you have someone working for you all the time, as Instacart shoppers do and as Uber drivers do, you have to classify them as employees. It's very expensive for the companies. So the companies have been lobbying to get another proposition pass, pass that would kind of get them out of it, uh, especially for these food delivery workers and Instacart shoppers. Yeah, this is so funny. Uh, it's, it's, it's dystopian in that as a shopper, you are encouraging this voter to vote against your rights. It is so funny. I mean, I haven't seen one of these things, but yeah. it's like, hey, if you like this delivery at far below what you should be paying for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, we used to see it a few weeks ago. I don't know if it's still happening. In, in California, there would be messages on the Uber app. Like enjoying enjoying Uber Eats helps support, you know, AB9, which permits us to keep offering our full service. And even like, wasn't there? Yeah, didn't they do a full shutdown at one point? Like Uber Eats not available today. Vote against. Because of AB5? Yeah. yeah. That's just like, I guess I haven't seen anything like that in the food tech world of using the huge platform to get... Uh, political in, in this kind of way I mean it's it just shows you the amount of the amount of power and the amount of eyeballs that they can reach um, well there's also a question to the legality of it yeah. because you are not supposed to encourage political let me let me read you the law mm -hmm. labor code provisions quote prohibit California employers from controlling their employees political activities and requiring employees to adhere to the employers political views and it's it's encouraged it's optional so i don't know if like they could actually get in trouble for this you don't have right, of course, to yeah. distribute these stickers and postcards but it's definitely it's there for you if you do want to uh, i guess on on in kind of a similar note should we talk about racist yelp yeah let's talk about i mean race, racist yelp is a funny that's not what the story is the story. at all yeah it's kind of like anti it's, it's more misleading. like anti-racist yelp Anti-racist Yelp. Yep. So, so what's going on here? Yeah. Basically, Yelp has had this function for a while where they can flag businesses. Yeah. Um, usually something will happen in the news and people will Yelp bomb a business. Yeah. Um, and meaning like putting tons of one-star reviews and whatever, and Yelp will shut down the page temporarily while they investigate what's going on and try to figure things out. Now they're adding an alert for a business being accused of racist behavior. So if you, you might go to a mm -hmm. restaurant or a business page and this big gray box will pop up and it will say, recently someone associated with this business was accused of racist behavior, resulting in an influx of people posting their views to this page. 
blah, blah, blah. They talk about how racism is reprehensible. (laughs) It says we have temporarily disabled the ability to post here as we work to investigate the content. Yeah. It's, It's good and bad. Like, it's nice that they're trying to address this stuff. It just seems like a impossible way to do it. Like, are they, how are they investigating? What are they investigating? I don't think it's good at all. You don't think there's any, there's any good thing about this? I mean, racism is bad. If you want to take a place off, then just do the thing, right? Like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just think that this is just like, it's just like a public display of showing you're doing something and not really doing the thing. Like, if you want to go all the way and just take a restaurant off because, you know, you've decided that the restaurant is racist. Like I could understand that. I guess I don't understand what happens once they do their investigation. Like say they investigate. First of all, what are they going to do to investigate? Are they calling people? Are they getting firsthand accounts? And then let's say they decide. And then if they decide unequivocally, okay, yes, the owner of this restaurant is a terrible racist, then what? They kick them off the platform? It's kind of reminds, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of the mess that the James Beard's got in. Like, if your job yeah. as an institution is not to investigate racism, <laughs> then don't publicly have, like, a business-altering label of racism. Also, just the thing alone is a, is a, is a stain on these restaurants, right? So, like, I think that, as a rule, if you have one of these flags on a restaurant and then it turns out not to be true... Like, I almost think you owe it to the restaurant to, like, blast an email being like, hey, we looked into this and it's not true. Not to just, like, leave it up there for a while and then, like, hope that the news changes so the person accused is not having their, I don't know, restaurant hurt business-wise or hurt in other ways. If they are investigating this accusation, the alert could be a little more neutral we're investigating something about this business. That's why this page is on hold. Great. I'm I'm more okay with that, but I think But then I yeah, I want to know like they with all of their listings around the country and the world, how many people are they going to have to hire to investigate these claims? Like how real is this effort? I mean, it's not, right? It's it not to assume anything. Well, right. hell, we're we I like to assume here. This is angry employees of Yelp being like, we're not doing enough. We need to do this. And they're like, all right, we'll put a racist flag. <laughs> we'll fucking fly the racist flag on some restaurants. We're, you know, no, we're. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, see, I, I Is feel that like... cut out? <laughs> no, no. Let's fly the racist flag stays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's um, one of those, the, it's it's one of those show don't do dis- measures. Yeah. Performative allyship that actually could be more damaging than good. If you're a user generated platform, be user generated. Like don't I don't know. It's it's Well, it's not like, you know, like I think this is a hot topic of conversation when it comes to the social platforms, but this is just business pages where people can comment stuff. And yes, you should moderate the comments yeah. take away racist comments but how are you going to go into an investigation of a business <laughs> and like when did that become your responsibility and what is the what's the cutoff you know what's the cutoff what what is their definition of of the thing that qualifies as this in this world where everything is so fluid 
Well, I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're assuming too much good here. They have no idea. I mean, the thing is on Yelp <laughs> is like, I've never seen, well, you've, they have two strikes for food poisoning or whatever. Right. Like, the, there's some things that could actually be relevant to the business that also would need further investigation. Yeah, I don't think Yelp, it needs to be their responsibility to look into the ethics of the businesses on their platform. And for them to pretend that they can is disingenuous. Yeah. Okay, Amanda, we're gonna we're gonna land the plane here, uh, so to speak. Oof. Um, I've heard uh, multiple stories of airlines trying unique things to raise money or to generate income in this in this time. Um, some of them revolve around meals, which I think is funny because you know, obviously, what's up with airplane food is like the oldest joke in the book that it's you don't go to an airplane for the food until now. Um, Singapore Airlines, this is according to Bloomberg said uh, that they sold out all the seats available on an Airbus 380 um, for two nights of dining in on the airplane, not going anywhere, just on the runway. Um, They have a meal in a suite, which costs $474 and then 100 bucks for premium economy and 50 per meal for economy to get on an airplane and eat an airplane meal. First of all, amazing. So excited about this. This is bonkers though, right? Like yeah. who would do this? I'm glad they're doing it, but who would do this? I mean, I now I, I, I don't would, know if I'm glad. I'm not glad they're doing it. There's no reason to be anything but supportive. You can be neutral or supportive. <laughs> no, I mean, all right, sure. I'm supportive. I don't know if I care about Singapore Airlines surviving their r- revenue right now. Well, you could go eat in a restaurant. Support the restaurant. Anyway, yeah. Here's my. Th- yeah. Here's my. I mean, this gets actually, this gets goofy points for me. Though. Yeah, yeah. It gets goofy points. I'm I'm happy for Singapore Airlines. <laughs> my big question to you, yeah. Daniel, is: as far as I know, you season food differently for airlines because mm, mm-hmm. of your taste buds. At when you're flying, they are. They're not as strong. So you have to make the food extra salty and extra seasoned. Are they using their traditional recipes or are they going to have to build new recipes for this on the ground dining environment? I have obviously no idea, but I think it's it's safe <laughs> to assume that they're going to use their traditional recipes. I mean, what would be really silly and funny is if they brought in like guest chefs and you ate the meal on the plane and it was like fancy Singapore restaurants popping up yeah uh that'd be cool they should do that yeah but god forbid singapore airlines would make money right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah there's another story out of uh out of finland um oh yeah they're selling their where yeah they're selling their business class meals in a in a grocery store would you eat airplane? You know what, though? I will say that I have I feel some nostalgia around airplane food. Like I like I mean, I like TV dinners. I like the compartmentalized aspect of airplane. It's food. different if you are flying uh, business in first class. And I think Singapore Airlines is also known for having a high quality food program. Yeah. So like I'm not nostalgic for Delta coach sandwiches, <laughs> but. I might be nostalgic for the first class special things that I get from Singapore Air. It's a really, really, really good point. And I wonder if the food in the economy and premium economy cabins on Singapore Air is just all the business (laughs) class food 
across the board. You better hope, hope so. You hope so. Yeah. <laughs> just giving them peanuts. It was just peanuts and a soda. <laughs> yeah. You know what I would love? I mean, this is not available to us, but I would be so interested in trying the food from all the airlines around the world. Like I was in, mm. um, where did I go? Oh, like even flying to Japan, um, the food that they give you is, it's, I mean, this is just such a trite comment, but like the food is so Japanese and it's just like, <laughs> it's so Dude, awesome. It's so Japanese. It's <laughs> no, but it's just like you idiot. <laughs> it's just like little pickles and stuff, and it's just like little, you know, like nice piece of ham. I mean, obviously, also they take it a lot more, more, more seriously. I mean, even on this one flight, what do I know? But uh, well, it would be cool if you could sample all the different first class situations because I always get press releases about like, oh, Mazadar is now in JetBlue Premium or Christina Tosi is now. What do you do with those press releases? I mean, straight to the garbage. (laughs) But, you know, there are all these big name chefs who've partnered up with all these various airlines. I've never tried it because I never fly first class, but that could be something they could sell. Yeah. Anyway, so should we uh, we wrap up? Let's wrap up. Amanda, thanks so much for your time. This was uh, such a blast. Thank you. And I know we say this every week, but next week we will definitely be back. We'll be back every week until Thanksgiving, I have to say. We have to do it and we'll do it. And I mean, not we, we have, have to, to do, do it. it and we will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, goodbye. Thank you to Jenny Zhang. Thank you to you, Daniel. See you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.